The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, January 12th. I'm Terry Aranga and my guest today is veteran nurse Sonia Hintz. Sonia has worked with children with disabilities since adolescence. When she was a teenager, she began working in group homes as a residential counselor. Sonia has worked as a public health nurse, a psychiatric nurse, and a neonatal intensive care nurse and continues as a nurse specializing in children diagnosed with autism. Sonia's son was diagnosed with autism at two and a half through the use of a therapeutic diet, homeopathy, herbs, vitamins, essential oils, and chelation, in addition to many other therapies. He recovered. Welcome, Sonia. Hi. Thank you. Let's start with the trademark first question. What is autism? Um, it actually, Carrie, depends on which arena you look to define what is autism. Um, when you look at autism, it is a communication disorder, inability to socialize um, with others. However, what's confusing is there's a, a spectrum within autism. Of Some kids do have ability to speak and others do not. Some can um, sh- show through communication devices that they actually understand words that you wouldn't think they would know. A um, fellow nurse and friend of mine her daughter can actually point to letters and spell words even though she cannot uh, verbally speak. So autism is a spectrum disorder. In the medical community right now, um, they consider autism not treatable. It is a mental health disorder. In the school system, they have educational diagnoses of autism, a special category uh, in the for the IEPs, and then the DSM-4R has autism listed as well as uh, mental health diagnoses. In the medical realm, the code for autism 299.00 is not a treatable condition and therefore will not get any kind of insurance reimbursement when that is put on a, on a form if you go see the physician and they put that down as your main reason of visiting, that doctor will not be reimbursed for that visit. I guess maybe, Sonia, what I should really have asked is, as a medical professional who's been specializing in children diagnosed with mm-hmm. a diagnostic label of autism for all of these years and seeing children significantly improve and recover, what do you and your colleagues know that autism really is? It is a medical disease, and it needs treatment as such. These kids exhibit signs of allergies, autoimmune you know, GI problems, um, sensory integration, um, they have headaches, they have seizures, 
They have mitochondrial and metabolic disorders that all contribute to their disorder. All right. And that's, and that's what we look at at our practice at True Health Medical Center. We actually try to find the underlying medical conditions that children have through lab testing, through uh, very thorough uh, HMP, which is a history and physical, and then also talking to the families to get their input on what they see are issues for their child. You mentioned medical coding. You referred to that. Um, that could uh, include the ICD or the DSM uh, manuals. How is medical coding and how autism is classified affected beliefs and availability of intervention? Well, if autism is considered a mental health disorder, then the need to look further um, in the general practitioner's office for underlining medical condition does not exist in their mind. They are following the current standard of care. Each diagnosis, you know, whether you have diabetes, whether you have seizures, whether you have high blood pressure, or mental health disorder, even schizophrenia, uh, bipolar disorder, they all have certain procedures and workups that take place related to the diagnosis. So with medical diagnoses, the ICD-9 code, 299.0, there is no current standard of medical workup for that child. Right. So that will greatly impact how that child is served. Okay. So is what we need a best practices model? Yes, you're correct. We do. Because there's no accountability then. So if you go to the pediatrician and your child's headbanging, and this is a new behavior that would just be called a new behavior, and when you looked at, well, maybe he's having headaches, and so the behavior is worse because of a headache. The behavioral diagnosis of autism is doing a disservice to the children because we're not we're not looking deeper into the children to see if there's something causing the behaviors medically. Okay, and we'll talk about behaviors more a little bit later and how this relates to underlying medical conditions. There was some recent reporting in the Chicago Tribune that was picked up by other papers. What was your professionally trained opinion about what was inaccurate about the series of articles? Um, well, my personal opinion is is that autism is becoming a spin. And what I mean by that is the focus was on what quote-unquote family, this one child situation and the pills he was taking and the services, and there's no proven treatment. And yet this child, you know, wasn't interviewed to see if he improved. It wasn't looked at in the context of what his underlying medical conditions were. And the spin is what's happening from that is that the focus then becomes on a few modalities that become controversial, like chelation. And that is not, if you look at the treatments that our practice does and other uh, defeat autism now practitioners do, that is not the primary focus of our care. We look at, you know, the immune imbalances, the zinc imbalance, the, you know, the metabolic processes that are going on, and, and really look at that as our, our frontline treatment. And so what got me a little upset was it was a spin and every time the word autism comes up then, it just it's like creating controversy around the word so that we will continue to have this controversy around the word versus really looking at the 
hey, there are more kids. It isn't better diagnoses. Yes, there are more kids, and they have these underlying medical conditions. So now what's happened is the, the media has taken that word and put it under vaccine naysayers as a word, let's just say, or under controversy, because it takes away from the whole battle to say there are more kids and we need to find out why, and we need to find out yesterday how we can treat them. And that was my frustration with that type of an article. Right. I had tried to explain to the Chicago Tribune that autism is not uh, a very, it's not a useful label. It's its a diagnostic label. It does not tell us anything about what's going on um, in the underlying physiology of the, of the uh, children, and the children need to be uh, regarded, assessed, and respected as any other patient who comes into uh, a, a practitioner's office. Right. So we're not treating autism. We're treating immune dysregulation. We're treating metabolic impairment. We're treating gastrointestinal pathology or endocrine disruption or any host of physiological underlying physiological conditions. For the most part, what are the kinds of interventions that your practice recommends most frequently and that you see children move forward with on a regular basis? Um, I would say, actually, working on a gluten and casein-free diet, working on cleaning up the child's environment, removing toxins, um, not cooking on aluminum pans and getting rid of Teflon and looking at eating organic. And then um, just your basic nutrients. A lot of the kids are picky eaters. You know, they have a lot of sensory issues. And so looking at the, any mineral imbalances, vitamin deficiencies, and, and really trying to look at that as well as you mentioned GI issues. If they're constipated, they're going to have underlying problems with their GI. So let's work on having them have a regular stool so they feel comfortable. Um, those are the main interventions that we do. I noticed, you know, I perceived many dangers from the type of reporting done by the Chicago Tribune. What kind of dangers do you perceive from that kind of reporting? You, you said the word spin. You know, the dangers is this, that autism, be, okay, first off, the dangers of that type of reporting is it's going to deter families from attempting to get treatment because it's controversial. And by sticking the word controversy in the same light of a kid who's eating paper, it isn't because he's autistic. What if his lead level is low or lead level is high and his iron level is low? And so he has what's called pica. So the dangers would be if you show up with your child to a practitioner and say, you know what? your pediatrician, and you say he's eating paper. Well, he's autistic. That's his behavior. So this controversy, what happens is it puts in people's everyday mind that autism isn't treatable. It, it, again, takes away from the fact of the real issue at hand. There are more children, and they need treatment. So, so let me get this straight. There could be children who are lead toxic, and they're exhibiting pica, which is, the eating of non-food uh, items. So mm-hmm. they could be lead toxic, which is a serious condition, and mm-hmm. and then their parents would read reporting like this and say, oh, autism isn't treatable, or uh, they could go to a, a mainstream practitioner who's maybe been influenced by this type of reporting and told, oh, it's it's autism is all in the head, or, you know, it's genetic or something. And then, mm-hmm. and not treatable. And then they're deterred from getting treatment for legitimate underlying physiological issues 
like lead toxicity because it's being sloughed off, off as just behaviors. The kids eating dirt in the backyard and books, and it's, right. it's just behaviors. Right. So that's and, you know, thing. never mind the fact that the favorite toys that the kids are, are like Thomas the Tank Engine and those that were recalled for lead. In fact, I got a little postcard in the mail last week from Mattel saying, if you want to be part of our class action lawsuit, you know, fill out this postcard and send it back. So yet there's plenty of areas to show that this should be of concern, that it should be monitored in children. But at the same time, because of this controversy, pediatricians alike are probably afraid to touch it as well. It isn't even just that they might dismiss it, but even if you find someone who is really, well, you know what, this needs further investigation, it's controversial even for them then to step over the line and treat that child. Right. So the child just remains with their legitimate problems and continues to suffer and operate at a uh, decreased level of function. Well, we may have to go to the break in the midst of this question, but, Sonia, what's the difference in the way patients are assessed in a medical model versus a mental model? Okay. Um, mental health model looks at... Oh, okay. The There's okay. the break music, so we'll be right back. Thanks to our sponsor, Enza Medica. We'll be right back, and we'll hear about this from Sonia Head. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America business channel your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness welcome back to autism one a conversation of hope with terry aranga if you have a question or comment call us toll free at 866-472-5792 now back to the program here's terry we're back with Sonia Hintz, who is a nurse at True Health Medical Center. And Sonia, before the break, um, we were talking about um, how patients are assessed in a medical mo- model versus a mental model. Okay. 
Well, um, a mental health model for autism does look at um, behaviors, communication, level of functioning, um, and they do run through a very standardized testing. There's the ADOS that looks um, for level of functioning as in the, you know, as far as communication, um, and there's other measures that can be done, um, and that's typically done by a psychologist. Now, if you go in the medical model for autism, again, there really isn't a standard of care that you could look up in a book. Um, so what they'll do is they'll go by parent reports. If you report your child is constipated, they would code that child with autism, not as autism, but as constipated, like they would any other child coming in, and then treat that particular issue by itself but not in the constellation of, let's just say your child has encoparesis where your child is backed up and they might be uh, smearing their poop or um, digging poop out because it's uncomfortable. That might be looked as a behavior problem that needs to be distinguished. So in other words, that, that behavior problem isn't something they want there. We'll have the behavioral therapist deal with it, and that may not be worked up then as a constipation problem. Well... You know, this just brings to light another danger. If if practitioners, if emergency rooms just slough autism off as a mental diagnosis, a psychiatric diagnosis, you know, I've even heard it said, you know, oh, that's just part of autism. You know, the gut issues, oh, that's just part of autism. Diarrhea, that's just part of autism. Constipation, that's just part of autism. But then, uh, you know, I've I've said to a parent, you know, go back to that emergency room and um, recommend it to them what a, a, a more enlightened medical practitioner recommended to me, you know, have a KUB done, have an x-ray done. Took right. the child back, child was impacted. So if you just slough it off as a psychiatric diagnosis and the child's just acting out or something, uh, then you're going to miss these underlying, some very serious, uh, right. physical condition. Right. So if the child's impacted, you know, right. what if they end up dying from complications from right. their gut status? You can't Yeah, and the other right, and the other issue with that is if they're that backed up, they're not gonna want to eat, they're gonna develop what? Ticky eating behaviors. You know, you you have to be constipated a pretty long time for for distension. So that underlying problem has been there a really long time. Even if you go every day and it's hard, it's still been there a long time. And so that poor child probably developed picking eating because food hurts. So, again, reflux. Well, maybe the child doesn't want to eat because he has reflux, but that's a behavior. He's a picky eater. He's got sensory issues. He likes dry, crunchy, you know. And, and so what I really appreciate about is about the biomedical approach is we ask those hard questions. We ask the questions to say, what kind of food does your child eat? Okay, let's think about why he might have this particular food choice, not just label it, oh, that needs to be done through ABA and, you know, we're going to set up an in-home program. Not, I'm not dismissing those programs. They're very important because what happens then is the behavior dictates a child's life. Once you help them biomedically, sometimes you'll need therapy to distinguish. Through. They take that behavior of picky eating and challenge them and say, you know what, this isn't going to hurt you anymore. This is safe. It is okay to take. And that's where I think the therapists have uh, a great opportunity through the in-home programs and the ABA to do wonderful treatments and actually turn that child's situation around. 
So what's needed is a lot of wisdom, and all we're met with is a lot of expediency or, or dismissive yeah. behaviors on the part of practitioners. What happens when children aren't receiving appropriate medical treatment and then they switch providers to those who can provide it? What kind of stories have you heard from parents, or what kind of stories would you like well, to hear? I had um, a child who couldn't gain any weight. He was 32 pounds, and he was 7 or 8 at the time. And his bone age x-ray was two years behind when they checked his wrist. They do x-ray of your wrist, and they see, they compare it to someone the same age and see how far behind they are in growth. When we worked on this child's gut, in a two years' time, he was up to 53 pounds. Mom had a 50-pound party. He gained an entire age in his x-ray just by working on his gut. And that means then his nutri- overall health has improved, his nutritional status improved. And what we did was we looked at, um, in his case, we did use a biofilm treatment on him. We did look at probiotics. We did adjust the type of foods he was eating. We tried to look at nutrition, calorie-dense foods. And and, and the mom was a real go-getter. She just kept at this and working at it, and and he did remarkably well. Um, you know, and I think the other thing that happens with biomed treatment, too, is a lot of families say, well, if I do this, my child will speak. And that's not what we're saying. We're saying your child's level will improve, and every child improves differently. Um, and speech isn't always an indicator of improvement. For this child, he had speech, um, but it didn't change his ability to communicate better. Rather, it just changed his general health picture. Well, you mentioned biofilm. Many experienced doctors who are up-to-date on the physiological conditions underlying an autism diagnosis say that we have to start with the gut. And I know Mm -hmm. that you know more than almost anybody about the biofilm protocol that people are buzzing about. So what is biofilm and what is the biofilm protocol? Basically, the biofilm protocol looks at bacterial overgrowth in the the intestine. We do stool testing. We can do an oat. We can do a map. And oftentimes when practitioners go after these particular bugs, we'll call them bacteria or yeast or pathogens, um, we use different uh, herbs, we use different antibiotics, whatever the test results might show. After treating, the family say, you know what, I think the symptoms are back. So we go back and we treat it again. And what Dr. Usman found is that anybody can Google that word, biofilm, and find it in um, applications for you know, the dentists have known about it for years and um, orthopedic surgeons with transplants have known about biofilm growing on um, hip joints and so forth. So it's out there. Um, and so what we do in our practice is we find out what type of bacteria or yeast is growing. We treat it. We use an enzyme to help break down the biofilm, and then we have a cleanup after that. Now, some kids have, and it's all varied. There isn't one program that looks the same. And that's the hard part. So it's more of a concept of treatment. It isn't uh, um, you do this and you do this and you do this because every step is different. It's individualized for the child. Well, it seems like there's a lot of actual medical arts that um, would be necessary for uh, most effectively, efficiently, and safely treating a child with autism. It's not like just uh, walking into the mainstream practitioner's office saying, I've got the symptom, them writing you out a script for a pill, and off you go, one size fits all. It definitely seems that there needs to be uh, medical arts here, uh, a lot of wisdom and, and time and thought and skill used. 
what kinds of results are you seeing from the biofilm protocol? Um, that one child I mentioned earlier had gain, had weight gain mm-hmm. and improved nutritional status. We've had some kids where they're, um, we have done have had strep, um, ASO titers come down. That's a measurement in the blood of strep. Um, we've had some kids that have had um, their long-standing yeast problems go away, clostridia problems go away. So we have had different, um, you know, successes with each child. All right. I know that there are some signposts for caution with the biofilm protocol or protocols. I guess it would be more accurate to mm-hmm. call it um, when addressing biofilm. Okay. What are the signposts? Post for caution when addressing the issue of biofilm in, in patients? Well, it's the same thing as with any other modality. They're, they have to be able to stool every day. Their nutritional status has to be, you know, taken into account. Reflux, you know, if that's an issue that has to be addressed. If they're constipated and you're trying to get rid of bacteria, it's going to make the situation worse. It just kind of... So there's different things we have to have in place first. Okay, so that's like really pathways, important. Yeah, the, um, what we call the detox pathways have to be opened first. Okay, that so that's really important. You can't mm-hmm. just go out and you know pop something to to try to yeah. eradicate biofilm because, for right. example, it's, your child might be constipated, and you have to address is, that first. Correct, and this is kind of where I get frustrated with the medical community. Not like clostridia is an issue. So you have these certain behaviors that Dr. McFabe found to cause, clostridia causes certain behaviors. Okay, so antisocial, aggression, pacing, um, you know, he, you can go to um, Autism One and see some of his presentations. So a parent reads this and they say, you know what, I think my kid has that behavior, so I'm going to do this because I've seen it work or someone told me it worked. And there's a little bit of caution in that. Because what if it isn't that? What if he's constipated and that's causing the pacing because of the pain? So, again, um, autism, as far as medically treating the children, is kind of tricky because you're going to need to make sure you know what it is you're going after. Second of all, you go after the clostridia you think your child has. Well, there's something called yeast that could kick up as you kill off the clostridia. So it's a real balancing act. Um, and you really have to make sure all of the pe- all of the pieces of the puzzle are there, as well as really good follow-up with whoever you're working with on the protocol. Right. Good point. So, again, we always uh, suggest to parents that they do any significant in- intervention or change in re- regimen under the oversight of their child's experienced treating physician who keeps up to date and mm-hmm. um, knows the real underlying uh, physiological causes of, well, uh, well, I'll say the underlying conditions that uh, kids with an autism diagnosis have. Uh, so I understand that some patients use antifungals while on the protocol. Is that correct? Yes. Whether they be herbs or medications, they use different antifungals. Yes, they do. So what's the difference between natural versus prescription, the, the types and um, any uh, notes of caution or? Well, with the natural agents, um, you know, there's some families use grapeseed extract, cranberry. Uh, some families use MCT oil, which is really um, caprylic acid. 
Um, Caprylic acid is an interesting one, you know, to use for for yeast. The caution in that one would be if your child has an oxalate issue, it can actually make it worse. So that's where working with someone who understands the whole piece, the whole condition, is helpful. Because you might add uh, caprylic acid. Parents report um, to each other, well, my child's having die-off. He's more irritable. His ears are red. You know, he's not sleeping, you know when actually he could be having an oxalate dump or more oxalates. And those are tiny crystals that can cause problems in kids and difficulty urination, behavior changes. So it might not be die-off. It could actually be an oxalate problem. Okay, so again, you're treating the, the child, the individual as a whole person, not just isolating one symptom from another symptom, but treating them as a whole person, holistic right. approach. All right. We will be right back with Sonia Hintz. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back with you at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Sonia Hintz, and we were talking about antifungals before the break. Sonia, do you suggest rotating prescription in natural antifungals? 
Uh, yeah, we do in our practice. Um, again, the uh, idea is that the yeast or the bacteria can kind of become resistant to one agent. And so by rotating things, we have more success in, in treating the yeast or bacteria. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, I promised earlier in the show that we would talk more about behaviors. And this is that part. So how does biology impact psychology. How do you as a nurse interpret various behaviors? I know that you were talking about encoparesis and I know that uh, you've written about self-injurious behaviors. So what would be your interpretation? Um, I think that the behaviors are clues into the underlying pathology. And then when we look at these behaviors, they need to be redefined in a medical model. Um, it's kind of interesting how biology impacts psychology in my household is I am the registered nurse and my husband's a psychologist. So he'll say, you know, um, Alex seems a little off today and I wonder if he's doing okay. And I will say, you know what, I haven't had him on a yeast product for a while. Maybe he could use something for that. Or he's recovered, but he still uses secretin. So I'll say, I wonder when the last time he had secretin was, because that helps perk up his engagement. And these are subtle things we just see in our house. But, again, these medical interventions impact behavior. So what an ideal model would be is to tweeze apart the behaviors the children have and come up with biomarkers. Um, we have biomarkers in other diseases. For example, when there's blood sugar changes in a diabetic, they can become disoriented. So our biomarkers would be check a fasting glucose, check the insulin levels, you know, find out where we're at, check for ketones in the urine. Simple biomarkers. In autism, we don't have that right now. They need to be better defined. Well, that's because it's called autism. It's... Yeah, it comes back to that same thing. Yeah. <laughs> autism is just not a very useful label. So if if the child with autism is having some sort of endocrine disruption, they're just going to somebody's just going going to say, "Let's put an ABC plan in place, antecedent behavior consequence." Okay, uh, what was going on before he had the blood sugar attack? Oh, the air conditioner was turned on. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, the model is really, and, and and I think, again, going back to this whole autism spin thing, they're, they're keeping a lot of us moms on these, these gerbil wheels. We're running in circles. And now, there's, you know, it's like the real issue isn't being addressed. And so we feel like we're in this dogfight with them about, you know, my kid is really sick. So we are a huge group. When you really look at these numbers increasing, well, add to that a grandparent, add to that to an aunt, or add that to a sister who has to come over and help you because you need to have someone watching your child while you go do this, this, and this. You know, you're pulling from resources at church. You're pulling from resources in the school. All those people are being impacted by your child that has autism that isn't being properly treated. And I, the, the money that is involved as well, research dollars, you know, so forth. It, it's incredible what's going to happen. I mean, it is happening. And I think that's why if we keep fighting the stupid spin, we're missing the boat. We need to just kind of come together as a group. And we are a very loud voice. And the moms are awesome. They have uh, the, the Internet as a tool to really unite and say, okay, enough is enough. You guys need to start treating our children medically. Um 
and not worry about all that other noise in the background because it's really distracting. Yeah, and and uh, don't don't uh, throw hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions down the rabbit hole doing genetic research for my kid. Give him a $99 lab test with something that I can use to help him significantly with right now. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or even take these kids' charts of all the moms that have done biomed, have a a clearinghouse that we can send our kids' labs to, and let some um, med student who has to do a research project start correlating the abnormal labs in our kids. We have the evidence. The evidence has been accumulated. Right. It really has. Right. Just because it's not been put together in some paper um, that had political trouble getting into a prestigious journal because it was controversial doesn't mean that there are not all of these study subjects all over the world. Correct. Do you consider behaviors signs that the patient is trying to solve an underlying medical problem? Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, What would self-injurious behaviors show us? A couple kids that we have um, have headaches. And if you think about it, when you deliver to yourself counterpressure, so if you have a headache, you, you might sit at your desk and put your hands press on your forehead. Because that pressing allows you to concentrate not on the headache, but on the pressure on your head. So head banging could be an example of somebody having a headache. Um, and how you would assess that would be then, okay, so my child has these head banging times and they hit their head on the floor really hard. Does it, a lot of parents will say, well, that's because I asked him to do something and he didn't want to do it. Well, I go back to, okay, well, when you have the flu and you're sick for five days and you have to get to work and, you you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to drag myself in or I won't have a job, you feel kind of like at your wit's end. So anything will set you off when you show up to work that day because you would rather be in bed. It's the same feeling. And so what happens is then you have to say, okay, is it because the light's turned on? Maybe it's a light sensitivity. Maybe he has a headache and that's the light's turned on really activated the migraine that he already has because if you have a migraine, you don't want your lights on. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to sit there and take the behavior of a head banging and really break it down. Um, adolescents, we're having a lot of our adolescence patients show more signs of seizure activity. So maybe they're having a seizure or maybe they're having other issues, underlying conditions. And EEG that was done, that's the standard of care. I'll go back to some standard of care. Some of the kids will get EEGs when they're two or three or four and they're normal. They have Spiking, it's called. Well, we're finding that spiking is of significance. And as they get into adolescence, it does impact their behavior, especially depending on the area the spiking or the seizure activity occurs, in the speech area, and the frontal area, um, and that can also impact their behavior then. There is a boy in the Middle East who bit clear through to the bone in his hand because of a decade of untreated gastrointestinal physiology. That's the boy who was impacted. That's the boy who needed the KUB, and the hospital had just sent him home without anything. Right. Right. And when his gut issues were addressed, uh, for the first time in more than a decade, he was able to smile at his parents, laugh, hug. Wow. It was always there. He was just in too much pain to do it. 
And that biting on the wrist, Terry, I'm glad you bring that up, is a really good example of gut pain. You know, and again, I have seen that quite a bit. And um, some of the kids will get scars on their arms from biting so often. And they know it is not okay to hurt somebody else when they're in pain. So what do they do? That counter-pressure, self-injurious behavior rather than take it out on someone around them. They're very aware of what's going on. So I think, yeah, it's totally, it's inhumane and unmerciful. You know, not to medically assess these children. Carrie, um, Vicki Martin is another nurse who works at another center, and she and I started with Beth Runyon writing uh, articles for the autism file. And it's called Autism Breaking the Code. And in that series of articles, um, we are looking at the very thing you're discussing. And I guess my burden is that this needs to change, this behavioral model versus medical model. The only way that can happen is if we have help. Um, the the Yahoo address is Autism Breaking the Code at Yahoo, and I would like medical stories of when that, like that, for example, the boy in India stopped biting his arm, and then the mom write, what did they find in his labs? And it's a place where we can take the stories and hopefully present them to Congress or present them to um, even health professionals to start educating them. You know, the problem becomes is that if the paradigm stays, then it's going to be what it is. And the only people that are going to change this paradigm are parents. And it takes, I know we're all busy and we have hectic lives and our kids have all these issues, but you know what? I know at the end of the day you're exhausted, you get everybody to bed. But to write your story with the medical issues your child has, how an intervention changed their behaviors to be positive, and what was missed because autism was looked at as mental health, would really help Vicki and I and Beth in our, in our goal. I mean, we can't do this alone. And it's not a place to send us questions about medical treatment, but rather just stories about your child. And okay, and that, that email address again? It's called Autism Breaking the Code at Yahoo. And if you really want, you can go to your local Barnes and Nobles and buy the magazine, and the series is in there if you don't already subscribe, subscribe to the wonderful magazine articles. There's a whole pile of information in that magazine. It's just a wonderful resource. Okay. Well, thank you for that that um, kind and unexpected and unsolicited um, endorsement, but <laughs> it really is indeed useful information. And Sonia and Vicki and Beth could certainly use your help with that, and that would help everybody because we all work together. Um, I don't, yeah. And I we're don't, all doing this. Beth, Vicki, and I are all doing this on our free time. We're, we're doing this. I do this at 11 o'clock at night. I, you know, so I, I would like a response. Um, I'm willing to put the effort in, and goodness knows I got a lot on my plate. Everybody does, you know, and we can do this. We can change it. We just have to be focused and do it together. Yeah. Yeah. Or we'll increase the the strength for the kids exponentially working together. Autism Breaking the Code at Yahoo.com. Sonia, do you think it's medical negligence if a child is not referred for an evaluation of possible causes of behaviors that could conceivably have their origins in medical problems you mentioned, such as GI issues, infections, and underlying seizures? Um, From a mom's mom's perspective, yes. From a practitioner's perspective, there is no negligence because you you remember autism is not medical. Yeah, it's the usual reason. They have they have no medical negligence there. Yeah, yeah. That's the hard part. That's why this has to change. Um, it's, a, it's a real shame. And let's pick up with this when we come back from break. Thanks for our sponsor, Enzymedico. We'll be right back. 
Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. You've read the books, listened to the CDs, and gone to the workshops to learn spirituality. Now there's a way to help you live it every single day. The Spiritual Workout with Stephen Morrison. Call with any issue at all and Stephen will passionately help you see which of 15 universally spiritual concepts apply to your circumstance and how. Practice every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Spiritual Workout on 7th Wave Network. It's a practical path to a happier, more peaceful, and richer life experience. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Sonia Hansen. Before the break, we were talking about medical negligence. Sonia? Yes. Um, medical negligence, well, that implies that the standard of care was broken. Okay? So if a person comes in with chest pain to an emergency room um, and they got worked up for a hangnail, obviously that's very obvious medical negligence. There's protocols to follow. In autism, we don't have those medical protocols. So as a parent, you're going to need to reframe your child's behaviors in a medical way for that practitioner to get treatment. Um, as far as a workup goes, you know, if he's chewing on paper, a zinc level, a lead level, CBC, all those things would be important to do. But if it's dismissed as a behavior, then there's no mandate that that child receive that blood work. Hmm. Well, that's another reason we have to shift the paradigm. That's another reason we have to break the code and have this right. changed from a mental diagnosis to a medical diagnosis. Correct. And where do people ever get off thinking that mental had nothing to do with medical in the first place? Um, it's interesting because the last art, uh, article Beth Runyon wrote looked really at autism is that it was looked originally by Canner for the behaviors. Um, and that's kind of where it's, State. It hasn't moved from that. So, 
So it goes back to the original framework with which practitioners operated from. Um, and because it's a communication disorder and these people can't communicate their pain or can't say they're in pain, that's the second area why it's looked at as behavior disorder. But with modern medicine, I mean, wouldn't they have progressed in the last many decades? Which of us, if we drank a few shots of vodka down to the tummy, wouldn't be affected in the head? Right. Right. And and I think I think this is where that spin is occurring because the more we start yelling about it being medical, the more the spin's gonna be, Oh, that's controversial, it's a behavioral disorder and the spin is gonna keep us going in the wrong direction. And um and I think the new doctors coming out are wanting to learn more about autism because there is more. And so it's a really good opportunity to help practitioners see it. Take your labs in when your child has an abnormal lab. Tell them what you did. Explain the kid got better. And if he looks at you like you have two heads, so what? You took an opportunity to tell him, hey, my kid's zinc went up and he's, you know, he's, he's eating better because it helped his appetite. You know, educate along the way. You, you know what else, Sonia? I'd just like to make this observation for any of our friends at the uh, Slanted News reported agencies that are listening. With recent slanted, shoddy reporting that's been done on the part of certain papers and magazines, I'd just like to observe that there are people who don't even have kids with autism who are listening to the parents and advocates in our community because their interest has been piqued by what they have perceived intelligently as the appallingly shoddy slanted, biased reporting of these newspapers and magazines. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So these, these newspapers and magazines, for, for some of, of the public, they're actually having them listen to us more. Because yeah, they're helping us because they're like, well, for some parents their kids improve on this. Well, it's, sign me up. <laughs> it's not you, know, the, you want your kids' well-being to be improved, whatever the outlook is. And whatever that, that picture for your child is, it, in, in, I think because the word recovery is tossed around so easily, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have a child that's recovered, but not all children recover. And so what they'll say is, well, look, they're promising false hopes. And never once do I say, oh, if you do exactly what I did, your kid's going to be recovered. That is the farthest from the truth, and that would be so wrong um, to to present it like that. you know, in Alex's case, at two and a half, he lost speech, he lost eye contact, lost a ton of weight, his hair started to fall out. You know, and being a nurse, I was just like, what is going on? He is really sick. And thank God the pediatrician at the time concurred with me and wrote down developmental delay. We started the workups and things. And my husband was going for his doctorate in psychology at the time when he was thinking autism. So it's kind of funny. Both of our educational backgrounds brought us to a different place. I said sick. He said autism. Um, but, you know, thank God we're happily married, and we were able to work at Biomed with our son, and we stayed married, and we stayed on the same page, and we kept at it, and he's doing remarkably well now. Um, so, again, they're spinning this that we're all saying, oh, our kids are going to, re- your kid will recover, and it's false hope. And that's not true either. So you knew that your son was medically ill, not mentally ill, and so instead of accepting anything the school might have said about institutionalization, 
you worked mm-hmm. with him medically and so were able to, in, right. in Alex's case, recover him. What did his right. test show? Well, he did have spiking on an EEG, and the doctor, neurologist at the time, said, I said I wanted to try a gluten-tation-free diet, and he looked at me, and he is one of the pioneers for the ketogenic diet for seizures, and so he's like, okay, but you have to promise me you're going to come back in six months, and we're going to repeat this and see what happened, and his EEG actually normalized on a gluten-tation-free diet. Wow. Yeah. The other testing we had was he had severe GERD, but his was silent. He didn't spit up or anything. He had um, moderate esophagitis. He had, when they tested his um, ability to break down carbohydrates, he was low in his enzymes. Um, And, you know, by working on the diet, adding enzymes, giving him probiotics, working on the yeast with another physician at the time, you know, he made great gains. And um, at the time, you know, we're talking almost... Well, let's see, 11 years, 10 years ago now, that was when secretin was the biggest thing to study. And again, that study was a washout because they included everybody under their son with a supposed diagnosis of autism. Even if they didn't have gut issues, they gave them secretin. Well, of course it didn't show any improvement. In my kid, it did. But, you know, if you would have handpicked the kids that had gut issues, you'd see that they would improve with secretin. Uh-huh. So he, he was a secretin responder. Um, he also had glutathione. He never did receive any chelation. He just had IV glutathione, secretin, and diet, and he was a, he he turned around. Excellent. Well, mm-hmm. is there any are there any other take home messages you'd like to leave with parents? Or you just mentioned glutathione. Any information mm-hmm. about that you'd like to share? Yeah, glutathione is a wonderful antioxidant. Taken orally, sometimes it uh, stays in the gut. Um, you might want to have your child well checked. And the practitioner can even do IV glutathione. You can do oral glutathione, transdermal glutathione, um, and Tylenol depletes glutathione. So right. we need we need to watch that. Yes, um, stay away from Tylenol. I corresponded with a gastroenterological researcher in the UK. Um, not the not uh, it, it's uh, it, it it wasn't Dr. Wakefield. It's another researcher in the UK. Um, just in case mm-hmm. anybody is curious and. Uh, he said he would never uh, give Tylenol to a child with autism. Well, you have to worry about I, about how things are metabolized going through the gut, and if you've got gut impairment, well, what's going to happen? I'm not sure that's why he said it, but he just made that comment. He would never right, give right. Tylenol to a child with autism. Right. And, again, um, please send Vicki and I stories and best stories. We, we need to get going on this, and I think um, the change will happen. Um you know, again, that's Autism Breaking the Code at Yahoo. And um, just keep going at it every day with your child. Write down your observations and keep a calendar. If you add something new to your child's supplement list or diet change, write it on a calendar on the fridge. And it kind of helps you keep track and see what behaviors change as a result because that's help giving you clues to their medical condition. And find practitioners who will listen. Just keep trying. You'll find people who will listen. Well, Sonia, I want to thank you so much for helping kids feel and function better and for being on today. Thank you. Sonia Hintz will be speaking at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2010 Conference, May 24th through 30th in Chicago. Please visit www.autismone.org. We hope to have registration up really soon, like this week. My guest next week is Dr. Miroslav Kavazovich talking about pandas, pediatric autoimmune 
neuropsychiatric disorders associated with streptococcal infection. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. For questions about this program, please email me at tiaranga at autismwant.org. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.